Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. All right? Um, and it kicks off saying, And Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haram, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now I'm reading in the NIV. I usually like to read in the uh, uh, New King James because I believe that's the way Jesus spoke. But I, I, today I like the wording here because what the title of my message today is unsettled. The Bible here says that Terah. Now he gets a. This man don't get the credit that I believe he deserves. And I believe he don't get the credit in the Bible that he deserves is because he didn't fulfill the destiny of God on his life. And that's one of the greatest fears I carry in my life. You know, is that I don't care about a great name. I don't care about, you know, money and riches. At this point in my life, I've grown past all that. There were days that I was immature enough to think that stuff mattered. But where I am now is... I am more concerned about not fulfilling the destiny of God on my life and the reason God put me here than I am any other thing. And so when I read this story, it kicks off here in just two simple scriptures. It talks about a man named Terah that had such a destiny of God on his life. But instead of there being chapters and books written about this man, instead of there being songs and and you know messages written about this man, we get two scriptures. And the Bible says in these scriptures here that I believe the reason why we only know this much about him is because the way this scripture here ends, it says, and they settled there. You know, the word settled is a lot of times misinterpreted, I believe, in a lot of circumstances because a lot of times in my life, I'll come into the house or when I was teaching at different schools and things and I'd walk into a room and kids would be wild or going crazy. I'd be all right, settle down, settle down, settle down with the interpretation of thinking that's a good thing. <laughs> Wanting the, what's happening in the room to settle down. But now that I am learning what the word settle means, you know, I believe this is what the enemy is trying to launch against the church and against you and against me and against what God is doing in our nation to try to stop the destiny of God on your life, on my life, on the church, and I, I believe on the nation as well. You know, even in our nation on TV right now, when you turn on the news and you see all the unrest going around and going forward, you know, people are saying, I wish just things would just settle down. I don't believe settling down is the answer. But I believe the enemy would love for us to accept the term that being settled is okay. I want to jump in real quick. We're going to, I want to just real quick lay out the definition or the Webster's definition of what the word settled means. Uh, number one, it says to place so as to stay. In other words, when you put something, one of the definitions of so is to put something there because it's supposed to stay. Right there. Alright? To establish in residence is another um, definition of the word settled. In other words, to establish, to, to, to do whatever it takes to reinforce, to place, to implement something so it to live and be at that place. Another definition is to furnish with inhabitants. 
another way to say that is to colonize. When we first came to America, when the, the foreigners first came to America, they settled in colonies. They colonized. They, they came all that way. They got to certain places. And when they settled, they established colonies. Several of the first colonies no longer exist. They're still hunting for them because they disappeared off the face of the map. To cause to pack down is another definition for the word settle. To cause to pack down. Now, as a construction worker, I'm a, I'm a construction guy, and Jennifer's a real estate girl, and so when we look at houses, we're always looking for houses that need to be worked on, but also have a good foundation. And when we walk in, the first thing both of us are looking for, even though we're looking at it through a different eye, we're looking for any settling that would have happened in this house. Because whether or not this house has settled or not will determine the first and foremost decision whether or not we're going to go forward with it. When we walk into a house, I start looking for cracks above doors. I start looking for cracks above windows. I start looking if it's a brick structure. I start looking outside for cracks coming down the bricks. Jennifer starts looking for level flooring because she knows that if the house was built in a place that wasn't prepared for that house to be there and it is allowed to settle... If the, if the ground was not able to support and it settles in a way, then it has the potential to crack and destroy the entire house. It completely takes the, the value out of what was built to be valuable. And so settling, when a house settles, if it's not built in the way or the place it was supposed to and it settles, it will destroy the house. All right? Another definition for settling, this, it's amazing how many definitions here the word settling is, is to, to cause dredges or impurities to be left there long enough that they go to the bottom. In other words, you've seen it. You've taken a, a glass of water. Maybe you reached down and took it out of a, a, a mud hole or even out of a sinker. Where I used to live out in Harney Grove, you would take it right out of the tap. And if you set it on the bar and you let it sit there long enough, you, would, you couldn't even tell it looked like clear, good water. It looked like it was fine. But the longer you let that water sit there, the things, the impurities in it would settle down to the bottom. And at the longer it sat there, the longer you sat, you would begin to notice that all this stuff that you didn't even know there begins to build at the bottom. And you could take these cups. When I grew up in Harney Grove, because it would come out of water, you could pour the water out after a few days and the, the sludge or the, the impurities would be stuck to the bottom of that cup. That's another definition of settle. To make quiet or orderly. That's what I was talking about. I've walked in rooms and, hey class, settle down, settle down. Hey kids, settle down, settle down. That's the understanding of that definition of the word settle. To, to make quiet or to cause order. Another definition for that was to get under control. To resolve or settle the question. In other words, if you have a question, to, to bring to the end the argument. Let's settle this once and for all, is how we say it. Alright, let's get to the bottom of this, and let's settle this. Another definition is to compromise or to agree upon a lesser punishment or, example, court case. There are people that go to court and they're facing charges or they're you know, going to court and they're trying to sue somebody. And in that process, before it goes to court, they can choose to settle outside of court. And what they do is they choose to take a lesser to keep from having to pay the greater cost. So they settle. 
for something less. Another one is to come to a place and rest. Where you just can't, I just want to get in a settled home. I want to settle down on the couch. I want to get to a place and settle in. Another one is settle to, to gradually sink into or go toward the bottom. In other words, you, if you've uh, ever been hunting or anything like that, out in the woods or in, maybe in your yard, my truck did it during the storm. There wasn't really a good place to park my truck in our yard because there were trees everywhere. And when we realized how bad this thing was going to get to be, the only place to park it, I couldn't park it on our concrete. I had to park it. There was a hill out in the middle of our yard. So I took my truck and went and put it up on this hill in the middle of the yard so that no tree could hit it. I went to get Jennifer's car and Jennifer goes, no, you ain't putting my car out there. I said, but Jen, a tree could fall on it. And she's like, no, you're not putting my car out there. And sure enough, the next morning when everything was done and over, my truck had settled down about two inches in the middle of the yard because it had sat there. And as it sat there, the longer it sat there, it just began to sink. There's a settling, a sinking is one of the definitions. To become clear by deposit or sediment or scum. To become compact by sinking. To become fixed, resolved, established as in sticking to getting stuck in a place or stuck in a rut like this. You've all said like the, the cold settled into my chest. Meaning the, the mucus, the things have begun to stick to places and begin to be lodged into that place. There are many definitions to this word settled. It keeps on going and going. There's 25 different ways we use this word. And the Bible doesn't really clearly go into here in Tara's life which definition or reason that he settled there. But let me read you the next scripture. In verse 31 it says, And Tara took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and the daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of of his son Abram and together they set out. They were going somewhere. They had a destiny. Let me tell you who this man really was. This man, the original Terah, lays the implications of that Terah was the man that had heard from God to leave his country, to leave Ur, the place of his inhabitants, and go to a place that God was going to give him and God was going to establish for him. He started out there in Ur, which now we tell the story that God told Abraham to leave Ur and go toward Canaan. And it will be a land that I will give you and it will be, I will make you a great nation. And I'll, but see, it didn't start with Abraham. Terah was the one whose destiny was to take and start the kingdom of Israel. I read this story and it blows my mind because here a man, he had clearly heard, he, had, he was willing to upheaval his entire life, pack his entire family up, and begin to make a journey. Historically, it's about 500 miles to go from Ur to where Canaan, the edge of the Jordan is. It would have been a 500 mile journey. That was not an easy trek. That was not something that was going to be easily done or a trip that you would just casually do. It was a great life decision and a great price to be paid in it. He packed up all of his family, all of his belongings because I believe he had heard from God and God began to call his destiny out of him and God began to place the children of Israel into existence and Terah here was going to go 
and begin to do and be what God, what the lineage of Jesus was to come through. But the Bible says on this journey, they got to Haran. Now, history records that the name of this city, Haran, where he stopped and he named and he settled. And then the verse right below it says this, Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Halfway to his destiny. Haran is about 250 miles from Ur and about 250 miles from Canaan. He got halfway to where God had destined his life to start a destiny with. And an event took place in his life. And the Bible says that event caused him to settle. And because he did not recognize the effect of what settling will do in your life, the Bible says, and he died at that place. I'm speaking today on the thing. We're, we're starting this process, this series called Pursuing the Presence of God. I believe which is the most important decision, the most important effort, the most important thing any one of us can do with our lives. It will connect your life from ordinary to destiny. It will take you into a realm that you never dreamed you could go. It will, every one of your wildest dreams will be fulfilled when you connect into the destiny that God's created you to be herein. But the thing about it is, everything in the enemy's power will be to try to stop you from fulfilling this thing. And the greatest tool that the enemy will use to keep you from becoming destiny will be the definition of settle. If the enemy can get you to settle for anything but God's best. If the enemy can get you to settle for anything except what God has destined and called you to do. Then your story will end a lot like Tara's did, I promise. You will have heard God, you knew God, you were led by God. But you got so far and you settled. I don't know. I know this. Theologians believe that he, he settled in Haran because he had a son named Haran. And somehow during this process, somewhere in this journey, Haran died. And Terah had a great loss. Did he have an excuse to settle? Absolutely he had an excuse. I can't imagine a father losing a son. And in those days in Jewish culture, he didn't just lose a son, he lost his oldest son. He lost the one that was supposed to get the birthright. It was supposed to be his future, his destiny. It was, I believe, the reason why Terah was going to Canaan to get his son there, to be able to establish what God was wanting to do through his family. But on this journey, in this event, halfway there... Haran died. And this was such a dramatic event in Terah's life. The Bible says that Terah called them, called the place that he settled in Haran. He named the place after the tragedy that he had been through and affected. But the Bible says he could never move out of that. I've watched 2020 and I'm afraid 2020 in a lot of our lives spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, the enemy is going to try to use as a heron in our lives. I believe 2020, what we've been through, what we've gone through, what you dealt with, the things that you've had to endure, the, I'm not belittling them any. I mean, if anybody had a reason to give up and just exist, when a father lost his son, I understand. I got daughters, it would be devastating. But the sad part is, Terra never fulfilled. I believe we would be singing, Father Terra 
had many sons. And many sons had father terror. Because the destiny that God had called him into was so great. But you have to understand, the enemy will fight you all along the way. But the greatest tool he will use in your life will be for you to settle for something. Over the last year, I've watched Christians that have served the Lord in churches, not just ours. In church, I was on, I've been on the phone constantly with Dad. Dad had a staff meeting yesterday, and I can say this stuff because we're not broadcasting on this. Dad had a staff meeting yesterday. Staff saying, you know, we're getting people back in church, but Dad walked through the crowd last week through the car. He said, you know, they're still in Camden. They're doing a parking lot service. Then they're doing a, they're doing an early service, then a parking lot service, then they're doing a uh, late service because they can't get people to come back in. The 2020, the COVID 19. The social unrest, everything going on had become such an event in people's life that it, it had gotten people to settle for being out of church for so long that some of them are stuck out of church now. They have settled for that that relationship with the Lord to be normal. And so dad, dad and them have, like with me, we've been trying to do everything we can do to, to get back to where God has called us, not let 2020 be something that becomes a settling place in the destinies of God in our life. But dad just said he walked through the crowd last week on the parking lot service, went from car to car, and he looked, he said, and probably 90% of the cars sitting in the parking lot, people, while the service was going on, people were on their phones. People were sitting there flipping through books. People were, he said, 90% of the crowd was completely disengaged. The enemy is using the tactic of settling to try to keep what God has called us to be and do. I've watched in our church, it's broken my heart greatly, how I've seen people, that, and it, shockingly, dad, dad was like, you know, he said, the people are getting dressed, they're coming, they're going all that way, but they, but they get to the service, they, you, they get right there, and then they settle with that being good enough, that I just showed up, and I don't enter in, and I don't move past. I've watched people in our church, the definition of a sinking a sinking down, a going in, a settling. I've watched people in our own congregation that, that I carry the responsibility of pastoring, that I've watched them that over these last several months that they were once on fire for God. They were once burning with passion. Once they wanted to dedicate, they, they packed up their whole lives and moved it toward the destiny and the ministries that God had called them. But then boom, we hit 2020. And here they go. They got still for a moment. And then they begin to settle in. And they begin to sink down. And they begin to go lower and lower to the point where now you're beginning to see cracks in their family or cracks in their marriage or cracks in their finances or cracks in their stabilities. I'm afraid every one of these definitions is what the enemy's trying to use against different people to keep us from making it to what God has called us to be. God has birthed you on this. And so Tara never made it. But if you flip the next chapter, it begins to talk about his son, who God told the same thing. He says, get up. Leave your family, your kinsmen. Get your belongings and go. Go to a place that I will give you. Go to a place that I will use you. Go to a place that I will make you a mighty nation. Go to the place that you were born to live. So... I want to preach today about being unsettled. Because I truly believe there's, the enemy has tried to keep people in a rut 
or keep people under pressure or keep people so worn out that all they can do is just stay where they're at. And if the enemy, everything about the kingdom is progressive. Everything about the kingdom of God is about going forward. See, the Bible says when God called the children of Israel out of Egypt and they went into the wilderness, did you know that he did not let them ever get settled anywhere for those 40 years? I mean, every time they got comfortable, the Bible says that the Spirit of God would move because God knows the greatest enemy to us fulfilling destiny is for us to get to a place where we get comfortable, where we don't have to live by faith. We don't have to move and push past our flesh. We don't have to go out to be what God has caused us to be, but we just stay home and, and try to be what we're being and think that's good enough. God has called his people to be progressive and ground takers. Let me, let me tell, you, tell you what the purpose of this church is. In um, Luke chapter 4 verse 16. And I want to show you the reason why God calls churches. And why God pours his spirit on churches. And I believe God has anointed this church. Because I have seen God do this in my life and in other people's life church. But in Luke chapter 14 it's Jesus sitting here. Now check it out. In verse 16 it says this. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As, and as his custom was. This is pretty cool. We're talking about Jesus, capital H. It says, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. We're talking about Jesus. All right, so he went back home. And then it says this, as his custom was. Another way to say that is, as it was a habit in his life. Another way to say this is, as a, as a way of living for him, he went up to the synagogue. People say, is church going important? Absolutely. If it was important to Jesus for it to be a custom, he made it a part of his culture. He made it a part of his habit. He made it a part of his life. He put enough energy for him to go to church. Church is important. So in that context, you understand, we're talking about church here. And he said, so he said, on the Sabbath day, he went to church on Sunday. He stood up and read. He said, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. He says, For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. Let me tell you what the purpose of this church is supposed to be. Now, the problem with the purpose of the church is, the church can be fulfilling its purpose, and you can be in a church, but you, cannot, you can be settled into a place, or settled into a spot to where the purpose of the church is never fulfilled in you. And it says, for the Spirit of the Lord is upon this church. I'm going to read it like that. Because He has anointed us. I believe we got some of the most anointed people. I tell you, when I go through things, I, I love for the people in this church to pray for me. I love because I know that the Lord has anointed the people in this church. I've watched God do things in their lives. I tell you, I love, Larry, that they're praying for you. I have no more confidence on anyone else than I do even Sister Gracie to believe God for healing of cancer in your life. The Spirit of the Lord is anointed people in this ministry. And it says this. It says that to number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. 
That's why my, my goal as a pastor is we make sure that the gospel is preached in this church. Because the Bible says I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to change. I can't change anybody. I can't do anything. None of us, none of our program. But when the gospel is involved and the gospel is preached. The Bible says the gospel has the power to change. So this church is to be a place that when people come in and the gospel is preached. That transformation happens. This is supposed to be a house of transformation. And I'm here to declare, this is a house of transformation. I am not what I was, even though I was saved when I came into the church. The problem with it is this. So, you can be completely saved, going to heaven, and still be messed up. I believe Tara was a, a righteous man. I believe because who else would have taught Abraham to trust God the way he did? The Bible says that God accounted to Abraham righteousness. He was the first man in the Old Testament to be accounted righteous, says because of his faith. Who do you think taught him that? He grew up in a, in a, in a family that believed in God. I believe Terah was a righteous man. But Terah, you can be a righteous man and you can still settle in your life and not fulfill destiny. But see... We're, I believe when people come in that we are to be a house of transformation. I believe, I don't care what we're preaching or what we're teaching. When we're teaching the gospel, the word of God, you sit under the word of God and it has the power to change. We may be preaching on marriage and you might be dealing with addiction, but it has the power to change. You may, you may be coming in and, you know, depressed and, and heavy and we're preaching on, you know, say, you're preaching on worshiping. Man, it has the power to change. We're a church that believes in transformation. We believe that, God, you come into the place and you, you sit under the gospel and it has the power to change. Then it says, but it's not, we're not just supposed to do that. That's not what this church, we're supposed to not just come in and get saved, be changed from light to dark, be changed from sinner to saint. We're not just, because it's a progression, God is always moving forward. God is always taking us further. And it says this, He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. See, you're not supposed to just come in and get saved. That's not good enough. That's not what God has for you. Not just to give you a ticket to go to heaven. When you come in and you get saved and you sit under the gospel, it will change you. But what's supposed to take place then is, after you get saved, the next thing that, or the next place or where God takes you next is to heal the brokenhearted. See, you can be saved and still be messed up. You can be saved and be depressed. You can be saved and still be battling bitterness. You can say, because see, Christians that just get saved and they settle there, all all the stuff that one of the definitions was to take water and allow the impurities to settle. See, if you settle at salvation and you don't allow the power and the presence of God in your life to move you to the next level, then what happens is all the brokenness and all the hurt and all the bitterness and all the pain that you have been through to the point of your salvation, if you allow it to settle at salvation, all of that stuff works itself down. And it will begin to build in the bottom of your cup the bottom of your life. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to be clean, how hard you try to be happy, or how hard you try. As long as those settlements are there, the water's never pure. And so you can't settle with salvation. You have to move to the next point. It says, we're to be, that we are to be, this is to be a place that we're the brokenhearted. That's why I'm so proud this month, Miss Katrina, in October 13th, we're kicking back up freedom. I'm telling you what, if, if you don't know what your next step in this church is to be able to get out of the rut that you're in, it is to get into freedom.
Because you're, I'm here to tell you, every single person in here has been hurt, broken, abused. You've been through so much that you shouldn't still be here. But what's happened is you have pressed it down or you've allowed it to settle down so low. You don't think it's affecting you, but I'm here to tell you, it's affecting everything. But this is not supposed to be just a house that gets you a ticket to heaven. This is supposed to be a house that will heal what's on the inside of you. He said, we are anointed to heal the brokenhearted. Those things that were done to you that you did not deserve. Those things that you've been through that you had no control over. God has the power to reach inside of that heart and begin to heal it. But you have to be willing to decide that it's not good enough just to be saved. I've got to get to the place and I allow the power of God and the Prince of God to begin to heal the broken heartedness on the inside of me. You got to get sick of being sick. You got to get tired of being tired. You got to understand that you don't have to walk around your life being depressed and unhappy. You don't have to fake it till you make it. You move into the place in the Prince of God and allow the healing ministry because that's what we're anointed to do. And we do it here in the ministry through freedom. Freedom has ministered and healed my family through more hurt and pain. I mean, they're a family my size. None of us would like each other, talk to each other, hang out with each other because we've all hurt and bothered and offended each other in so many times. But if it wasn't for the healing, the brokenhearted in our lives, I mean, my family couldn't stay together. And I know that the enemy has tried to get some of us to settle with just being okay with having bitterness. Being okay with having disappointment. Being okay. It's not okay to be any less than what God says you are. It's not okay to settle to go through the rest of these days knowing that one day you're just going to go to heaven. But then it says this. We don't stop with just healing on the inside. We're to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's why this church has Celebrate Recovery. I'm so proud of Kenneth running Celebrate Recovery. Because as God heals what's on the inside of you, what God wants to do is set you free from what's holding you back on the outside of you. The hurts, the habits, the addictions. God's purpose is not for you to go through life as an alcoholic. And the power and the anointing on this house is to set at liberty the captives. That man standing back there was an alcoholic for 20 plus years. And boom, in one moment, the chains fell off. How did that happen? That happened because God's constantly moving us forward, moving us toward His destiny. And Kenneth could not be what God called Kenneth to be with the chain of addiction in his life. So the anointing on the house and the anointing of God had to come in and break and set free those that were captive. I'm here to tell you, if you're, if you're, if you're saved and, you, and, you're, and you're working on the brokenness on the inside, you don't need to be settled with that. just that. You need to begin to take steps toward getting the captives that have been holding you back all the time. Yours may be anger. Yours may be cussing. Yours may, but there's something that's been holding you back and God has, will anoint. God's presence will bring the power into a place and into a moment to set you free because whatever the enemy is put on your life to try to hold you back. It's keeping you from being what God has destined you to be. And as long as you settle for letting it be there, it will keep you and hold you. And it will pull you down. And it will suck you in. And no matter how hard you try to pull, if it's not the presence and it's not the anointing of God, it's not going to break. But then when you get broken, I love it. And I've watched this happen in lives. I'm watching it happen now. It says, and then to recover the sight to the blind. Oh, you're supposed to come in. Yes, you're supposed to get saved. Yes, you're supposed to get healed on the inside. That stuff that has been hurting you and 
breaking you and, and, and destroying you from the inside out. God will heal the broken heart. Then he sets free the captives. He, all the things on the outside that have been holding you back and keeping you from being affected begin to fall off. And then what happens is the Bible says you begin to get a new vision for your life. You begin to see how God's going to use you. You begin to see what God's going to do through you and how God is going to destiny you and how God's going to use you to be able to have a plan and have a family and begin to dream and purpose again. He opens your eyes. And he begins to show you destiny. The road map. The road map to Canaan. And then it says this. And to set at liberty all those who are oppressed. I tell you, we're to go out and we're to take back the ones that the devil have been holding in the tombs. We're to go out and set free those that the enemy have been holding back with demonic oppression and demonic possession. You say, do you believe in that? Absolutely. The devil's been after me my whole life. How can I deny that the devil tries to do that to others? I'm not special. I know this. If he's been trying to get me to settle, he's been trying to get others to settle. But our job and our anointing in this church is to go out and to get those and to set them free and to show them... And then this is this. And to proclaim, and I'm proclaiming this this year, and I'll explain it here in just a minute, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I tell you, 2020 is going to go down in a lot of history books as being a bad year, but it's going down in my yearbook as being the greatest year I've ever seen God do anything. I'm declaring it now. I'm declaring that 2020 is the acceptable year of the Lord. It's the year that God broke through things in my life. It's the year that God began to answer prayers that I have prayed for for years. It's the year that dreams that I have seen come. 2020, I tell you what, I, I, I just got to, I, I, I don't have time to brag about the 2020 in my but I'm going to brag about Miss Gracie's. I prayed with Miss Gracie for 20 years about them grandbabies. And in 2020, when the world was falling apart, God answered that prayer, didn't he? You got uh, this is, I mean, this will be the year. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. But it will be the acceptable year of the Lord for those that choose to not be settled. And they understand they are called to be unsettled and unsettlers. See, what does that mean, Cricket? What, what are we saying? Let's, let me try to make some sense of it real quick. See, any place in your life that you're okay with it being less than what God has said it should be is an area in your life the enemy's trying to get you to settle. And I've watched over the many years. I've lived through the many years. And I know it bothers people when we do this. I, I believe the strongest ministry is ministry of transparency or the ministry of real. And, I, I, you know, I've had people say that they come to our church because the ministers in our church will say it real. And I've had people say they don't come to our church because our pastors are all messed up. And I understand, but this is what I believe, the kind of church we are. I believe that the more, tra- but, you know, the, the, the theologian terminology is this. You do not want people to see your humanity because if they see your humanity, they will not respect your divinity. I'm here to tell you, I'm nothing without God. I could preach and go get trained by the best of the best and could preach, but, but if I don't have God, i got to be honest with you, there's no divinity in me. It's just the only thing I have is a testimony. But the Bible says that's what I need to destroy. So when we preach, we're, we're a church that's very, every one of us, as pastors, as leaders, have had to go through these steps. We've had to go through, you know, getting healed of the broken heart. We've had to go through getting set free from captives. We've been having to go through it. And so the thing about it is, if we've went through it, the good news is this, you 
you can too. At any level in your life that the enemy has tried to get you to settle or hold you back, there's good news because I've seen what God has done for me. I've seen what God has done in Maurice. I've seen what God has done in Yvette. I've seen what God has done. And so I know this. I know if God can do it for us, He can do it for you. And so we got to decide that it's not okay to be anything less in our life than what God's Word said we should be in any area of our life because the enemy would love to convince you to think, all right, well, you're just going to heaven, so all I got to do is wait there, but until I get there, my life is going to be like this. No, I'm here to tell you, you're settling. You are settling at that area in your life. Well, I guess it's just a minimum wage job is good enough, it's better than no job. No, you're settling. You are settling because God wants more for you than average. The Bible says God came to give you life and life more. The more is not settling. That means there's more out there, and if you're still living on this planet, you must move to a place that I am not where I supposed to be. I'm glad I'm not where I was, but I am not stopping here. I'm going to continue to go where God has called me to be because God has a greater destiny on your life than what you're living right now. You say, well, Cricket, I'm doing great things. I got to tell you, you're only halfway there. You might be in Hebrew, and so the enemy's trying to use things in your life. I know people that are, that are okay with just a a, a, a decent or a, they're okay with just a, a okay marriage. You know what I mean? We get along sometimes, but we don't get along sometimes. And they're okay with that. That is not the will of God for your life. God's will for your life is not for you to have an okay marriage. I know people that are okay just paying their bills. And I'm here to tell you, you're settling if all you're thinking is it's just okay to have enough money to pay my bills. No, I serve a God who's more than enough. And you got to understand that if you're just paying your bills, thank God. But if you stay and settle right there, you see the problem with faith is this. People think just because the, what the Bible says, if it says it, that faith that it's going to happen is not. You, the, whatever the Bible says, you can't have. But you have what you settle for. Whatever you settle for in your life is what you have. Don't matter what the Word of God says. The enemy will try to get you to settle in every arena of your life that will affect the destiny that you're going forward in. See, here it was a family thing. He was going to start Abraham was the father of many nations. So Terah was headed toward being something great. And he was a father of great kids. And tragedy hit. 2020 happened. Lost his job. You know, the road got hard. Storm blew in. You know, I don't know if when they got to Haran, COVID-19 took it out. I don't, I don't know what happened there, but I know this. It was strong enough for a man that knew he had a great destiny to settle in. So what do you do? Let's talk real quick. We got just a world. We got, you, you want the, I'll, I'll end up for you. If you go to, if you go to Genesis chapter 17, I'll paraphrase this for you real fast. It wasn't, I'm not just beating up on Heron here. Because every, the enemy comes at everybody with the temptation to settle. Terah went through a tragic situation and he settled. Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 kicks off in verse 15. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. And I will bless her so that she will, she will be the mother of nations. Kings and people will come from her. Oh, did you hear what her destiny was? I hear the Lord speaking to us in this church that there is a king in you. Nations and kings are to come from you. But see, the problem with each one of us, we're all tempted with the opportunity of settling. 
He said, God said, God said, I will bless her and I will surely give her a son. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. There are nations on the inside of you, Sarah. You, don't, you see barren. You see nothing. You can't do anything about what's happening. You've tried to have a kid and you can't. But God sees nations. And not just nations, but He sees kings. He said, I see kings in you. Say, Cricket, look at the mess I'm in. God sees nations. God sees the impossible. That's what He was telling He said, Sarah, you're barren, but I see the impossible coming out of your life. But you can't settle, he said. Abraham fell down on his face. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at an age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael... Abraham tried to convince God at this moment that what you're telling me and all these great things you're calling me to do, you know, let's settle for Ishmael. Let's settle for Ishmael. Let's just settle going to church. Or let's just settle, you know what I'm saying, uh, doing it this way. Let's just settle for an okay marriage. Let's settle for an okay job. Let's settle for an okay car or an okay house. Or let's settle for, I, I got my Ishmaels that, you know, what you're telling me seems impossible, God, because of everything I've been through. So I, what I've got here is this, and I'm willing to give you this, and so use this. But if he would have ever used that, it would have only been half of what God could have done. Because that kid was only half Abraham's. See, settling is you deciding that, you know, I've come this far and this is good enough. But he said this. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah. I don't want some other kid's child. I want Sarah's child. It was the king and Sarah. It was the nation and Sarah that I see. You're compromising. You're settling for half as good. or that, That settling spirit you have, Abraham, doesn't have the potential to be what I am calling you to be. And it said this. It says, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. For... As, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you, and I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase in numbers. He will be a father of 12 rulers, and I will make him a great nation. God don't have a respecter of people, but God knows what he's made you to do. He's made Sarah to be the mother of nations and kings. He's made you to be a destiny child. And i got to be honest with you. You settling for what you are now is not good enough for God. And he said this, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear you, who will bear to you, check this out, by this time next year. By this time next year. That means this. She had three months to get pregnant, and then she had nine months to carry out the promises of God. I'm here to declare and prophesy we got three months left this year. You got three months left this year. I declare and I prophesy in any area of your life that you choose it's not okay to be settled in anymore. That just waiting on God to do what God wants to do and you're not picking your feet up out of the rut. You're not picking your energy and you're not taking steps toward God every way you can. You're not pursuing the presence of God. Then this time next year we got three months to change the course of what 2020, some are saying, will go down in history books as the worst year ever. I'm here to declare, this time next year, we're going to be living the destiny that we know God has called us to live. This time next year. 
So what we do in the next three months as a ministry, what we do in the next three months as a husband, what we do in the next three months as a father, what we do in the next three months as the church, I believe will determine what we become in the next year. And so that's why we go out. That's why we're building churches. And now my thing is this. That's why you've got to understand, you've got to evaluate, and you've got to look. Where are you settling? Let me bring it to the point of this. The enemy will constantly try to get you to settle in every area he can. In Moses, in the book of Exodus, the Bible says that God it was ready to release his people, to set his people free. And God's hand was about to do great and mighty things on the land. And the Bible says that Moses, God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, Release my people, let us go to worship, which is going to be our key. Worship, we'll come back. He said, to go worship. And this is what the Bible said, the Pharaoh said, no, they're not going. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make their life. They want to go worship? You want to go worship? You need to understand everything comes down to worship. Every battle you're fighting, every deal you're going through, every situation, every wrong the enemy's used somebody to hurt, all comes down to where and how you worship. And so he said, we got to go worship. And Pharaoh said, I'm not about to let you go worship. Do you know why he wouldn't let him go worship? Because in those days, Pharaohs were worshipped. He wasn't going to give up what he had. So the Bible says his heart hardened and he went in. But the hand of God began to move. Because when people get unsettled, when people decide this is not good enough, the Bible says that the children of Israel began to cry out to God to set them and release them from their care. When they decided this for 400 years has been okay, but we're sick and tired. We're making forward no matter what it costs, we're ready to go. We're not going to settle out of court. We're going to go to court because our conviction is strong enough to know that God has better for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? You will not settle in a court case that you know you will win. And so they said, we're going. God's got something for us. And this is what the Bible says. The hand of God moved. And then the plagues came on. The plagues came and the plagues came and came. And then this is what took place. It says, are you on my right page? <laughs> it says the first plague came and the water turned to blood. Then the frogs came. And check this out. During this process, the, the first two, the enemy, the Pharaoh's sorcerers were able to duplicate. It looked like that it wasn't God. Because just anybody could do these things. When you get ready to be unsettled, you'll start making moves and you won't think, you won't look like God is doing the things around you, but you need to know something. The minute you decide to be unsettled, you can count on the hand of God to be moving on your behalf. Then it said this, lice and flies. And then, this is why Pharaoh called him in and said, all right, I will let your people go, but I'm only going to let them go to worship if they stay in the land of Egypt. He wanted to keep the people under his jurisdiction. Wanted to keep people under his reign. Wanted to keep, I'm telling you, and if, if you allow the enemy to just let, see that's what happens, a lot of people settle with just going to church and be church Christians. So they live in the land of Egypt, but they worship on Sunday morning. They live in the land of, of under the jurisdictions of their bosses and of the government, but they, they don't understand they're aliens, they're foreign. They're not supposed to live under the jurisdiction. We're king kids. We may be here, but we're not of here. And so most said, oh, that's not, good. that's not good enough. I'm not settling to just be able to go worship in your land. And so the Bible says balls began to come on the people. And then he said, all right, listen, listen, listen. I'll let you go worship. But you can't go too far. You can't go but a couple days out. In other words, I want you to be back in arm's grasp to where when you get out there, 
if you get to doing or getting doing too good, I can reach back and take you back in. And see, some people get just enough free until the first tragedy or heartache they face. That's what the enemy does. He wants you to get settled, just, just being free far enough out to where, you know, if you get to doing too good, them friends are going to get to calling and get you to go back to the club. Or those friends are going to, uh, where the enemy can reach out and grab you back and get the wrong person to say the wrong thing and jerk you back in. And then Moses said, huh? That, that sounded like a win. I mean, the king of the world at that time said, all right, I'm going to let you go. You just can't go too far. That, that sounded like a win. But Moses knew that was a settle. Because God didn't call me to not go too far. You need to know something. God has not called you to not go too far. God has called you to be more than you've ever dreamed, thought, or imagined you could be. God has called you to do greater and be greater than you've ever even thought you could be and go and do. And this is what he says. He says, all right, Pharaoh said, no, 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 we're not doing that. And then livestock disease came on the land. So Pharaoh called him back in and said, hey, hey, okay. You can go, but your men can go. Take the men, but leave the kids and everything else. And this is what Moses knew. Moses knew. We're not going to give up our families. We're not going to give up our marriages. We're not going to give up our destinies and our children. We're not going to settle for just one spouse serving the Lord. We're not going to settle for just mom and dad being in church, but our kids living like heathens. They were not going to settle. Moses said, that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to be His chosen people. We're a nation. We're a family. We're the children of Israel. And we're not leaving anybody behind. See, some of us have just settled that, you know what, well, God will reach him when he wants to, or God will get them when he wants No, you need to decide that it's not okay that your children don't serve the Lord. It's not okay that your husband's not on fire for God. It's not okay that your wife's not passionately pursuing God in His presence. You can't sit on Then he said, okay, okay. Then hell, locust, darkness came. And Pharaoh called him and said, all right, listen. Y'all can go, but you're going to leave your livestock and your cattle. Oh, and this was a line that sounds like was a winner. But Moses knew this. If I leave my wealth behind and I settle in this area, it will affect how far and how much I can do. See, the enemy tries to convince a lot of us to settle in the area of finances. That's why we don't tithe. That's why we don't give. That's why we don't sow. Because they, we don't understand. We think that leaving that behind is that, that part taking care of that, the, the wealth. You know, that's a world thing. God, God banks in heavenly money. I've got to be honest with you. God's freaks are made of gold in heaven. He don't need your investment. You need your investment. But Moses said, I'm not going to worship. We're not going to go worship without our wealth. That's settling. If I settle for not worshiping with my wealth, then I settle for less than what God can have and use me to do. And then this is what he says. And then the hand of God struck so hard that lives were lost. That's a hard hand. But God will do whatever it takes. When you decide that I'm not going to be settled, I'm getting out of this rut that I'm in, I'm moving into what God has called, then God will do whatever it takes in the men die. And the Bible says this, they went and they didn't just go. Pharaoh paid them to go. Made them get out of town and couldn't get them out quick enough. I'm telling you, when you choose to be unsettled, choose that man, anything less than what God has for me, but let me tell you why people settle. And I'm not, I'm not an idiot. And I'm not, but this is why people settle. Because everything is warfare. 
everything is warfare. And if you don't believe in spiritual warfare, it's why you will not accomplish. Your destiny is a, is, there's a war for your destiny. God has called you to do such great things that the devil will do whatever he can do to stop it. And so there's warfare. And this is the truth. People get so tired. People get so encumbered. People fight in warfare so long that what happens is they get into fatigue. And when you get in, you have struggled financially so long that you just finally decided, you know, tithing is just too much trouble. Or you've just finally, you've struggled with in, in your marriage so long that, you know what, obviously I've just married the wrong person. You know, we'll stay together for the kids. Or, you know, I, you know, I can watch church on TV and I, I, you know, I don't need to be there. Or I can do, you, you, because you're tired. Monday through Saturday has been such a battle. Monday through Saturday has been such a, such a fight. That man, I just need one day to stay at home and rest. I just need one day. And we settle. I understand that. Because the devil knows that if I can just get them tired, if I can keep them exhausted, if I can keep them... See, a house that is settling doesn't crack in one day. It takes time. And that house has been holding that load for so long that it begins to finally settle. And it tries to hold everything together as long as it can. But then all of a sudden, pss, a crack will go above a door. Pss, crack a, because it, it, the weight has been there for so long. So I was going to tell you about this storm this week. I've been through a lot of hurricanes. I've been through hurricane threes and fours. This was only a high two, 100 mile an hour winds. And when that hurricane came, I told you, I said, don't worry about it. It's only a hurricane two, baby. We've been through bigger. But what I didn't anticipate about this storm was when it got right off the coast of Gulf Shores, the storm stopped. I'm telling you, I I told you a couple weeks ago, I used to surf storms. Me and my buddies, we would wait for hurricanes to come in and we'd grab our surfboards and they would be moving. We knew we could stay an hour ahead of it. So we could surf for an hour and then jump in the car and drive up for an hour and it would be coming in an hour. So the way we, we would say, this storm got right off Gulf Shores and stopped. And it was about, you know, the storm, the wind started that morning. I would say about roughly... And it was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And the wind started. And we saw the bands coming in. And literally, predictions and what everybody said, that storm was going to go over in about two hours. But it stopped. And so for 9 and 10 hours, me and Jim were standing out that door at 2.45 in the morning. I was looking out that when I could not believe what we were seeing. I mean, you've seen on, on TV how they, those reporters stand there holding with all their mind. I always thought that was a joke because I've been through a lot of storms. But at 2.45 in the morning, we couldn't shut our door. We were trying to. Trees were crashing everywhere. You couldn't see, literally. To, at, from 1 to, say, 5 o'clock in the evening, you know, it was windy and blowy, 60, 70 mile an hour winds. But then from, like... Five in the evening till like nine, they picked up and went up to about 80 or 90. And all the wildlife, it was crazy, started getting out of the woods. It was weird. The frogs got so loud, I told you, and this is the plague. We, you know, we got in the judgment. Frogs were so loud. We thought, me and Jim were sitting in the living room, and we thought there was a cat screaming outside. We thought, oh no, we left one of our cats out. Went out there, and I stepped off the porch, and frogs were all over my feet. Um, the frog, they, it wasn't a cat. It was frogs making all this. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And then from about 9 o'clock to about 4 in the morning, I had never seen anything like that. 
we could, we could hear, it, it sounded like a train going by for about six hours. It was a train, I mean, a roar of a train in our house. So loud that our, none of our kids were asleep. They stayed up all night. It was amazing. You couldn't see five foot in the yard because the wind was blowing so much stuff. I, it blew all the vinyl siding off of two sides of my house that has been there since 1940. It, it like I told you, 4,000 trees on power lines, 2,000 trees on homes just in our town. That's not the extended area. And what they said was this. I have right beside my house about a 150-year-old oak tree, a big tree. One of the limbs got blew out and it went through our roof, um, but it was a big tree. Most of the trees that fell in this storm, they were not little trees. They were all big trees. And what happened was, they said these trees had learned. It was the weirdest thing. You can drive around town and there's 2,000 homes with trees on them, but none of the trees have went through the house. They're all laying on that. In Arkansas, when you have a tree fall, it goes through the house. So it was the weirdest thing. We're driving around town, and there's trees just laying on the house. But what they said now is this. They said, because the storm lasted so long. said, if it would have acted like a normal hurricane, it would have come in, and it, which they say the damage of this hurricane was greater than Ivan, which happened 16 years ago to the day that this one hit. And, you know, it came in, and it was such a bigger, more powerful storm, it just tore the place up because of its strength. This one was a two. No one was afraid of a two, but the, nobody predicted that it would sit there for nine hours. So for nine hours, this storm sat there with 100 mile an hour winds, circling, circling, circling to where these 100 year old trees that have stood through all these storms, all this, they, they were fine the first hour, the second hour, the third hour. But they were saying on this, about the sixth hour, these trees had handled all they could handle. And they all just begin to lay over. It's the weirdest thing. They all begin to lay over. The entire city, when you drive through right now, almost on any street you drive down in Foley, the debris is piled up so high you can't even see the houses on it almost on any street. Because that many trees that have been here for hundreds of years couldn't take it. The storm kept blowing so long that what they used to stand on, they began to settle on something else. Saying all that to say this, there were these two trees in my yard that almost touched my house. If either one of them fell, I was always concerned that they would come through our house. If you've seen my house, they're unbelievable. I told you the story about the pecan tree the other day. If you go on my Facebook page, you can go to the... When the storm started coming in, me and the girls went out in the yard and we picked up 10 gallons of pecans that were coming out of our tree. I mean, this tree's producing. It's healthier than it's ever been. But in this storm, it's right beside a big oak tree. And I should have took a picture, but I didn't. And I will next week. I'll bring it to you. But during that process of the storm, that tree began to fall. It's been there for umpteen years. It's been through entanglement. It's been through disease. I told you about the vines that were all over it. I can tell you this. There's not a vine left in it now. But it began to fall. And there's a big, on one side of the tree, there's a crater about two foot wide where it almost went over. And Jennifer, we were out there surveying the damage after the storm. And she was like, well, why didn't it go on and fall over? What happened? Because if you look up in that tree, that tree has two branches that goes up and like this. And when it began to blow, that one branch on that one side touched the other tree that was standing beside it. And because it had been through a storm so long that that storm 
got it so fatigued that it was beginning to give up when it went to go because it was standing beside another tree that had been through storms too. We didn't lose a single tree in our yard. I would say there's 40 trees on the perimeter of my property all laying into our property. We didn't lose a single tree. Why? Because one tree was holding up the other tree. When it didn't have the strength to stand through what it was going through, when it couldn't stand it. And what I'm telling you is this. Moses wouldn't settle because he knew God had more. But he knew the way to prove that he wasn't going to settle was the way he would move into worship. And i got to tell you this. Worshiping by yourself is not good enough. Worshiping by yourself at home is not good enough. You have to be connected to a church that has got other people worshiping because I'm here to tell you, the enemy is going to fight you with the principle of settling, getting you to lay down, lay over, give up in some area in your life, and then he'll put a storm on you. He'll bring everything in your marriage to cause every fight that he can bring to try to get you to get fatigued and give up. But if you're with another tree that is being able to stand in the storm too and you keep your hands and raised in worship, I'm telling you, you will be able to make it through. And I'm here to tell you this. This would have been the last year the first year that pecan tree has produced pecans and probably the last 20. And this would have been the last year had it not been standing with another tree with its arms raised up too that kept it from falling over when it got ready to settle and give up. And I'm here to tell you, I got 10 gallons of pecans this year. I'm going to get another 10 gallons next year because that tree is still standing. In other words, don't you settle. Don't you give up. And the secret to not giving up and the secret to not settling is you better make sure you you're in a church. It's all about worship. Who are you worshiping with? What are you worshiping for? When are you worshiping and how? Moses knew that if we can just get out of this city, we can get out from under this jurisdiction, we can get out with our kids, and we can get to a place to worship, then destiny was released. It all comes down to worship. And so, if you've got enough of God... If you've done enough for God, if God has done enough for you in your life that you can be happy and float through like a bee and never have a rough day again, then I give you permission to settle. But I'm here to tell you this. I haven't. This church has not seen its greatest days. Your greatest days are ahead of you. You have not lived them. God has more for you in the future than He's ever had for you in the past. And the only thing that will keep you from pertaining it, living it, breathing it, doing it, is if you allow yourself to get settled in where you are. Amen? And you know that comedian says, here's your sign. The sign to know you're not settling. Like in in court, if you're, you're going to settle a case before it goes to court, it's because the cost for going to court is too high. You've got to pay the lawyer too much. You gotta, so you settle out of court. The battle's been too long and you're just ready to... The, the, the cost to keep from settling will always be the cost of worship. Your worship has to be so important to you that at no matter what cost, you will do it. And no matter what cost, you will be with others that do it. And no matter at what cost, no matter at what condition, you get to a place where you can raise your hands. And even though you're in the middle of a storm, the enemy's trying to blow you over, there's somebody standing beside you with their hands raised too. And they keep you from going down because you're unsettled. Amen? Well, I'm going to close with this. We're over. People are going to be mad. It's all right. We'll go over on the next one too. I won't play favorites. But... uh Can we just close with two minutes?
of worship. Because that's what it's really all about. The enemy's trying to keep people from coming back into church. It's not over a fence or it's not over time. It's over their worship. You know, that's why the devil wanted in heaven from the first place. He wanted everything's worship. And that's why the enemy, if he can get you to settle, you are selling your worship for whatever it is you have in your hand. It's not worth it because God has more for you.